0: Okay, let me see. Yeah, as like I said, I'm trying this new experiment over here. I'm um, I taking advantage of the fact that I finished my lectures. So today the desk is cleared somewhat. And so I'm going to try to do the Tefillah podcast now. As always, sponsored generously by Mishpachas Stefanski. <coughs> and it came to my mind, <coughs> obviously, that today's is Baal This week, and that's by Heben Saram, by Yom HaMasheh. Uh, Kom HaShem B'Yafuz The thing we say before... And after when you take out the safer Torah. I'm not exactly sure where that comes from, to tell you the truth. Um it's I mean, at that time the Ark was moving. We're taking the Torah out of the Ark. I don't I don't know. I'm not gonna sit down and chase that one down. But uh is this interesting that this became, obviously as we all know, the standard. <laughs> so <clears throat> the question is like this. So, this is a basic part of the tefillah. You say it all the time whenever you take out the sacred toe of course. So, what are you supposed to think? That's the question. What are you supposed to think? Now, obviously, a prayer like that is what you call evocative. You understand? We have certain parts of the tefillah of the liturgy that are historic-specific, and they evoke, they're supposed to our minds, historical images. So, in a plain it down-to-earth <clears throat> shot, when You open the Aaron, you say Bahibin and Sarah, you're supposed to think long ago, thousand years ago, they had a different type of Aaron, not a box in a synagogue. They had the own in the Mishkan, <coughs> and moreover, <coughs> this particular Aaron was going Shloshes Yamim, was going three days ahead of the other Jews, which means it was acting in a very active role. That's just interesting. The Aaron and the Sefer Torah in the Aaron, or the Luchos in the Aaron, representing an active factor, not just a passive one, because it says the Aaron went before them, and uh, they used to take the Arn into battle. As we know from the book of Shemol. <clears throat> when you look at, I think you know the story, the battle of Ufeq, when in the beginning of Samuel 1, they have this battle with the Philistines and they start losing, they immediately see, let's bring up the Arn. That'll help us. And of course, they get defeated anyway. And the average person, myself included, you learn that, you say, see, the arn is not a prop. <clears throat> I say, for Torah, the Mishkan, even the Luchas is not a prop. If you do tshuva, okay. But if you're not doing Chuva, you just think by bringing the arn up, that's going to help you defeat the Philistines. <clears throat> so that's wrong. It's a misplaced religiosity. You don't put it in things as the says but on the other hand and as a result as you know the Polishtim won the, war, the battle and they captured the Urn. however I'm sure the Jews said like guess Moshe Benet did it what does that mean? go forth O ark and scatter your enemies it sounds like he's referring to the ark as Hashem. I mean, I know he's not exactly. Sounds like it. The Abarbanel, by the way, did I quote it yesterday? says that people took that literally. That's one of the reasons he started being misogyned But you don't have to go with that shot. And anyway, it's not to you and me, but for Davini. I'm talking about Tefillah today. Nobody's thinking the Ark is identical with God. But the idea that the Ark would go forth with them in battle and would scatter the enemies is a very powerful idea. When we dive in all the time, let's put it this way, the Jewish people got plenty of enemies in Israel. Uh, <laughs> actually, we got plenty of enemies in Lakewood, in Brooklyn, in um, Baltimore, and everywhere else. Just read every day, the everyday yeshiva world, one of these things, all the attacks are increasing. Hashem, vecho, v'yanusim esenecha mipanecha. Unfortunately, it's not poetry, it's very Nugea. You see? So, at the playing level, you evoke that old memory, you view the Torah as being something powerful, in the, in the military, physical sense, um, we're taking it out of reading it, but you know, I'm supposed to sort of transpose the idea. Do you understand what I'm saying? They took this ancient pasuk, which was talking about a very specific context, we're using it in the modern synagogues, even though it's not exactly in the same way, because we don't have the ark marching before us in some procession. At the time the pasuk was said in Parsha uh it's actually sad to contemplate. And a thoughtful person, when they recite this every day on Monday, Thursday on Shabbos, will have a certain semi-tragic attitude when you're reciting the Sukhum, I would suggest. If you understand the historical circumstances of the first Pesach, when it was first said, I mean. And that's always my take, I'm very historically minded. And it's talking about the fact that the Jews just left Har They're marching towards Eretz Yisrael. The Aaron is preceding them. And the idea is that it will lead them into battle. And they will conquer the Kanani and priests and all that and take over very to Israel shop Now you and I know <clears throat> that a panic attack called the Meraglim never happened. So the Oran never did <clears throat> fulfill this um, tafkid. Because read the book of Yeshua. There's nothing in there about that. Uh there's a whole story about marching around seven times around Jericho. There's some other battles they have over there, that are detailed in the book of Yeshua. Nothing about the ark preceding the battle and zapping everybody like one of these H. G. Wells, you know, movies where, you know, sent uh, out a death ray. Even though that's what Moshe was saying. via Which, by the way, could be possibly read that you'll so scare them. They'll freak out and run away. You won't even have to have battle. Which almost happened with the Polishtim. In the Battle of Uphik, you see, where they said, "Uh uh-oh, here comes the God of Israel, who uh, destroyed the Egyptians, were up the creek. But then the Philistines rallied and won the battle anyway. So it's very evocative. Like, what am I supposed to think when I'm dominating over here? So one part is, of course, as I say, the tragedy. That, you know, let's put it this way. Didn't have Betocha? And therefore he paid the price. Could have gone into Ezra... Israel pretty successfully. Dioran would have nuked everybody. And you would have had any to Israel. We didn't do that. Maybe you and I today, when we're davening, and we take out the safer Torah. We shouldn't just treat it as a ceremonial object that you kiss, but realize it has awesome power. that could possibly, you know, destroy your enemies or something like that. It's a Sephora, by the way. I have my rusty, trusty uh, Mikras Gedolus. And I just highlighted it. And the Sepharnaut says, Luli sholcha miraglem hay hechnatsen b'zulis melchama. That from this passage, kum ha'shem v'yafut se'vech v'yad hechnatsen b'zulis melchama. Which I tell you again, we recite all the time. In fact, we, we, we rattle it off. Uh, you were reminded of a time, Luli sholcha miraglem ha'yad hechnatsen b'zulis melchama. If they hadn't said the miraglem, the Aran would have taken care of the war for you and they would have entered Israel. Zulas <laughs> milchama. Without having to wage a war, because the arm would have done all the work for them. Either the arm would have killed them, or if you wish to be very exact, the arm would have freaked them out they would have run away. As excuse me, as happened to the Gergashy, gir- they say, you know, they weren't there. they ran away. umos because the guy would have run away. Okay, so uh, this is almost the idea that we have potentially to cope with the same return when you open the R and you look at it this way, that if we play our game right and we don't lack Betochen and things like that, you don't do another Meraglim, you can scare all the anti-Semites away. It was a very interesting idea because they never disappear. It's a question of whether or not they're quiescent. What's the right word? If they're in a dormant stage. You want them to stay dormant. It can always be stirred up. I'm sorry, but experience teaches this. But keep it dormant. Let them let us enter the land Zulus Muhammad, as the foreigner says. That's one mahal. And it's a very interesting one as far as I'm concerned, as far as Dabani is concerned. Because we don't lack enemies. And when you have this in mind, you're not even saying kill them all. You're saying just leave us alone. You know, let them uh, ha- focus on something else. Let them, you know, have their own problems. A little of this, I say a little, that much, you see in the Middle East today, some of these Arab countries, cynically, of course, are kissing up to Israel because they have other problems in there. So the end. Now, in this case, it's happening from the Koch of the Torah. The original Ark had this kind of kedusha and such scariness that, you know, it had that power. We just have an imitation Ark. We have an imitation safer Torah. But the idea is to remember the original one, which is based, and then gives you a little more respect for the safer Torah. Uh, That's not the only mehalach you get what I'm saying? Notice, if you look at the Mepharsham intelligently, <clears throat> in this week's Parsha, on the two Psukim, that we recite all the time, by Hibben and the next one, of Ucha Yomar, although that's harder to translate, and as we all know, we say it all the time. So, um, the different and the original uh, context behind it, is very, uh, in- at least to me, it's, it, it seems very interesting. And a mature person will possibly... Think about this when they recite uh, these sukkim, particularly this Shabbat this week, when we're Pasha Parshat so another time of the year when we're reading the Pasha week. These sorts of things that should remind us of this. Uh, for example, uh, once again, the, the uh, Rashi says it very nicely. Uh, the the Menachot Kuma. What does it mean when it says Kuma uh, Hashem Becha? So the ark was actually three days away from them. They weren't, it wasn't there at the time Moshe said this. It said, So Moshe was saying, far away, kum Hashem, meaning, don't go farther than three days ahead of us. Which means, uh, no, as I would say, if you think about that, and everything's about Rashi, I mean, you know, it's not a distant mif- Uh Don't let the Torah day get too far ahead of you. That's a very interesting idea. Uh, don't go for those parts that are more than three days away from you. <laughs> a person has to have relationship with the Torah is, you're not at the same level as the Torah, but in the end, it's not so far away. Lobo that, you know, that you don't even try. It's always three days ahead of you. Meaning, it's not that far ahead of you, but it's always ahead of you. It's always ahead of you. That's a very constructive attitude to have towards Torah in general, in my opinion. I think the Rambam would totally go with this. We're not dealing with, you know, the super mystical stuff, which is beyond the Hussagas of people. And frankly, there's a lot of people out there that may, may not be the best people in learning, for example. Okay, I'm over Hamtein Lono, Shlok Yisrach uh, You know, learn what you can learn. Master what you can master. Don't worry about the Pator part that's more than three days away. Again, I, that's more in the style of Musa, but I think that's a very interesting idea because, let's put it this way: when you open the Ark, everybody, I'm going to tell you something very interesting now, is a different person. And not everybody views the opening of the arm and taking out a turn the same way. A Talmud Chachab will say, oh, you know, I have a feeling of uh, great intimacy with this. Another person might feel very alienated and say that all that stuff is beyond me. You understand? But this is a ritual, a liturgy that's for everybody. So each one has to relate to his or her way with varying degrees of intimacy or non-intimacy. But what you see over here is, that's what we're aiming for, that everyone should establish their own idea of their own personal relationship to the Torah. I think so. And anyway, these sukkim are very good in this regard, because remember, when Moshe recites it, the Torah is not in view. The Torah is three days away. So it's kind of interesting and cute in that regard. Now, uh, the other Pusig is much harder to translate in Hebrew it's not really translatable so well unless you play with it you know say I'm translators you know you you have to jiggle a little bit you know you have to fudge it a little bit uh, that's how it goes uh I was wondering by the way about this, and I pulled out my uh rusty trusty uh, uncle is over here the english one and um the Uncle is also because he's very push-up shot oriented, he didn't want to do anything that would sound like uh that you're uh getting involved in anthropomorphisms in a bad way as a characteristic, as the Ramam tells us of, of the Marna the Martin book about altogether. And he says, Oh, that's easy when the orange stopped. Uh, Hashem, Rivers out for Israel. I ask you to translate that, Shuva Hashem. River Self Israel. Um it's not translatable in regular English. I can translate by Davashama Mujalymore, I yeah, you know, I can understand those words. Shuvah Hashem, River Salpha Israel. First of all, does Shuvah mean uh, sit, return, rest? You'll find the different portion say all the above. And then what's river Israel? The masses of the Jewish people. So it's a poetry, get it? Uh, once you go to poetry, especially Hebrew poetry, but even in English poetry, you play with the dictic rules. Play fast and loose with the dictic rules. That is what poetry is. Or can be. Um, you understand, in regular prose, <clears throat> the rules of syntax and things like that, then poetry is evocative. You understand? It's evocative. So, the cutest one, uh, in my opinion, is David Ezra. Which also is very really no good to anybody in any shul that ever was. And that is, Ibn Ezra says, where is it here? That, um, here we go. What does it mean? Um, this is wonderful. Ibn uh, Ezra with a fine sense of Hebrew is always the case. Rivibos means many, like the tens of thousands. Myriads, as they say in English. But it's also true. Uh, rivibos sounds like word arguments. Riv. And so, Shuvah <laughs> Hashem Stop all the stupid quarrels that the Jews have with each other all the time. It requires divine intervention for that to happen. That's nothing but the truth. A person like that, any rabbi, or anybody, a he knows exactly what you're talking about. Shuvah Hashem Rivos bring a little bit of nachas to the river of Israel, to the many arguments among the thousands of Israel. As the word, he says like this, Moshe, his palo, she ve'yashkita Hashem, from the word sheket, v'yashkit Hashem, call Yisroel bim heim rabim. So basically, uh, <laughs> the Bedev is not one hundred percent clear, but to me that's clear, that's what he's talking about. And so when you open your arm, and when you take taking your arm back, v'nucho yomar, shuv Hashem rives so a bunch of them. Let's have. Let's try to have a day today without all the quarrels and fights you and so. because that's what tears us apart. And we're so used to it, you and I would not even know what to do in a world where all Jews got together. I mean, it sounds funny to say so. It's what we call tragic comedy. You understand? Know Everybody's different. They're always fighting with each other. That's the norm. I turn on the morning to look in the, the news among the Jews. This one can I get this one? That one can I get that? That's the norm. I don't even have to recite all the differences of the different Jewish groups. And I'm even thinking of firm world. Then you throw in the non-frumar, it's ten times as much. You see, Shuvah HaShem Self Israel is a good even answer. It's a very good thought for a person to say on Monday Thursday when you have your tefillin on I'm serious. I'm not being funny. Shuvah HaShem Rav Israel. Try to put an end to all these stupid crawls because um, you won't find the Shekhinah there. Right. Rashi very famously says it's a Chazal teaching that uh, uh, what is it? ain't you shechina shorba yisrael mishnei alofen that Hashem, uh won't rest the shechina if there's not thousands. He means if there's not thousands that are getting along. The shechina not going to be there if there's a hundred thousand Jews they are all fighting with each other. Well, you put together any ten thousand Jews they are going to fight with each other. This one's going to want to do it this way. I was going to do it that way. It's who we are. And the uncle it says, again, with his fine uh, sense of language, Amar, and when the Shine rest, I mean when the Arn rested, it said, Tuv Hashem, Shrei be a Korach, but go rivers Israel. Shre be a So let your glory reside. It's not exactly that way. I don't have the art arts role uncle. I don't know if they're up to uh Bamidbar yet. And this is fine. Let your glory reside among the ten thousands of Israel. So, um, of course, Uncle want will say, "Shuv Hashem, God should stop or move or add any anthropomorphism to the divine." Because Uncle is very strongly opposed to that, as we should be when we die, Although I've talked about that before, but as he says over here, uh, the Targumist feels uh, they were talking about the Shekinah. Now, remember, the Shekinah is not a Shem. The Shechina, let me read this, that the Gemara and Sadigon have Moshe request the return of the Shechina. Shuvah, HaShem. Return, hear what I'm saying? I'm talking to Hashem, I say, please God, make your Shechina return to the Jewish people. Uh, when the Targumist uses Shechina, he's talking about the feeling that people have of a divine presence. So Shechina is the people's feelings and not to God. And so, this is really very no gain nowadays. We live in a very materialistic time, and I'm using the word materialist in the philosoph- philosophical sense. I'm talking about goshmas. I'm talking about, you feel the only reality is a material reality. It's hard when you're a believer to fight against it, it's necessary to do so. But the weight of culture is towards a materialistic interpretation of reality. And People are asking here, Shuv Hashem a River S Return a meaning in the philosophical sense of the Unclus and the Sadia, the feeling we have that Hashem is really there, we're asking Hashem to make it happen. Send your Shinah down to the river for Israel. In other words, help people today believe. Now, from a strictly logical point of view, you might say it's silly. Like, Krasis makes this point. To ask God to make you believe. I mean, once you're talking to God, you already believe. Not exactly. person can say, listen, I want to believe. And when I say, but not just lip service, I want to feel in the Kishkas. You know, you got all this goshmias, all this materialism, all this too much TV, whatever you want to call it. It's not so easy. Help me get the feeling of the Shekhinah. Get me, get, help me feel the reality of God's existence, God's presence. So that's not contradictory. You say intellectually I feel one thing, but emotionally I don't. So I'm asking my intellectual thing to pray that I should feel it emotionally as well. It makes perfectly good sense to me. Uh, now I just laid out two or three of many, many possibilities of what it is. When you say, by human and when you say, and we're not totally finished yet. You know, there are other interpretations of, especially Shubhashem, rivers Alpha Yisrael. I just for the heck we looked at the Schneinsatz, was it, or something? And he said, Repose, O Lord, among the myriads. So, Shubhashem, Besoch, Ribbis Alpha Yisrael, according to that. And I forget who he quotes, you know, the source for that, which also is true. But the general idea is, that either refers to quarrels, it refers to having Hamonam Biyachad, or you're asking the feeling, the emotion of the presence of God should be among masses of people, and not just for Yitzchiki school. Of all those are no Ogea, and I bet you most people in the don't even think of Parshat otherwise they see all the problems with the syntax and all the rest of it. Uh, and I'm simply suggesting, if you're interested in anything all I'm saying today, why don't you take a look at some of the other uh on the parsha? I mean on these two It's only two, grand total two As you know, they're surrounded by these inverted nuns, but I'm not getting to that. That's not the I'm talking more about the tefillah side of it. And At the level of the tefillah side of it, the question is, how does this affect my tefillah? In which case, I think it's affected a lot. And second, well, how do I relate to the Moses story, which is a different context, versus my present reality, which is one in the synagogue that's like, oh, if you're just taking the Torah out, you're going to read it. It's not the original sort of thing. But the notion of the Torah as a kind of a weapon, of not, I'm not speaking in an obscurantist kind of way, but the idea of the Torah being like something powerful, I hate to use it, because it sounds like some rabbi giving a schmooze, but in the intellectual sense, it's actually a very intriguing uh, idea. It reminds me a little bit about Uzzah, who was afraid the Torah was falling down and held it and got zapped. You know, Torah itself can carry itself. So that means that it can stand on its own, and you're praying you know, for some, uh, I guess, emotional uh, sense of that sort of thing. Anyway, that's what strikes me. And uh, once again, I want to thank Mishpacha Stefanski. It is a very interesting week to look at this in terms of the Parsha. And uh, I suggest everybody do so if you're interested in this sort of thing. With that, I wish you a uh, good job And once again, I want to thank Mishpacha Stefanski as always. And uh, I'll see you.